Hello, friends. This is Kirk Henderson. I'm coming to you with an episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I've not done one of these in a while because the regular season made it really hard to do guests on a regular basis. But I'm here now, and I'm joined by our newest contributor to Mavs Moneyball, Joe Holbert. Joe, how are you? Yeah, really well. How about you? I am. I'm. I'm okay. It's been a strange week already. Uh, we, we after so much news last week. Uh, most of Monday and Tuesday were quiet and then it kicked off with Mark Stein, uh, right before, you know, early evening time last night, Mark Stein in his newsletter noted that some of the bigger name general managers, uh, like, uh, Masai Ujiri are not on the Mavericks radar. And then for some reason, uh, uh, Rick Carlisle is letting Dallas Mavericks head coach go without any sort of need for compensation, despite still kind of having him under contract so of course just weird things weird things going on which of course can can really lead us right into your opening salvo for mavsmoneyball.com you turned in a absolutely wonderful piece which if you're listening to this podcast i'm going to demand that you go read it uh it's a long title but and i wrote the title (laughs) the dallas mavericks roster isn't good enough and you really get into some of the nuts and bolts of why past really Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are are really in a challenging spot to to you know go places. So let's let's kind of talk about what you know what led you to write this piece, as well as you know kind of besides the obvious, they lost the Clippers, um, as well as you know what the problems are, and then you know what what some of the the potential solutions are. So I think the reason I wrote the piece is because when I started sort of looking at this team in more depth, following more of the fans, a lot of the blame I felt was attributed to Rick Carlisle, albeit by a vocal minority, but I didn't really understand it. So I thought, okay, well, I'll try and look at what they're saying. And I watched every Dallas game back. I looked at the X's and O's, the rotations, and I just thought there's nothing he can do with this roster. So THJ can't create his own shot. He averaged 1.5 assists per game this year. He's a great shooter. Uh, he can make tough shots as well, which is really where his value is. He's not just hitting wide open jumpers, but I think he's better on contested ones. Um, that's really the main thing. I was kind of looking at the roster and I thought, this roster, you've got a top five player. The next two best players, Paul Zinks and Hardway, they're only valuable when they're shooting. They can't get downhill. And Paul Zingis can't move anyone in the post or create off the dribble. It's just a really like badly, it's not news to any Mavs, so it's a really badly constructed roster. So I wanted to go deep on the biggest problems. Rather than just say it's a bad roster, I kind of wanted to look at why it's bad. You know, which well, players are the biggest problems? It's, I really don't think it's a, a vocal minority. You know, Twitter is one thing, but I've been on Facebook, I've been on Reddit, talking with some of the casual fans in my life. A lot of people really don't understand just how the Mavericks got here because when you have a player like Luca who elevates everybody's you know strengths and then sort of masks their weaknesses at least in a regular season it's it's really easy to get in the playoffs like that and wonder okay well why are they getting beat in the ways that they got beat and as we've seen you know it, we're, we're coming to you right after a, a an incredible Suns Clippers game what the playoffs remind me in the, just the starkest terms possible is that if if you have a flaw, that flaw is going to get picked at and picked at and picked at until you're going to get beat. 
and and this roster as we've seen it this year despite really I, I really do like some of the players but the bottom line is that that you know once you move past Porzingis who you know kind of has his own subset of issues the the players sort of kind of two you know two three four five I don't know it's just basically most of the rotation is not talented enough or they are 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 really kind of one directional players and and that's been it was just kind of shocking to see even though I knew it because I've watched all these games but it, it, the playoffs are just always like that for me. And, and you know, the, I don't really particularly care for Tyrone Lou as a coach. And I think had he just made some adjustments earlier, that series would have gone five games. Yeah, I think the thing with that series was like, I think I put it in the article, the Mavs had two of the top 10 players in the series. That was my <laughs> it was Luca and THJ. Paul Zingas might sneak in at nine or 10. Like it was, they were completely outmatched schematically as well the clippers can mix up their coverages i wrote as well about this the mavs can't because paul zingas can't move and they don't have when you play drop you need game-changing guards to push over the top so memphis do that well to hide balanchunas as, as an example they've got melton tyus jones dylan brooks none of the mavs guys really are that good fighting over screen so the defense will get you picked on and with regards to the rest of the roster, it's a lot of specialist players who have interesting skills. So Maxi, he's a big who's good at defending the perimeter. That is an interesting skill. And he can hit three, so I've not got as much of a problem with him. Trey Burke is just like a microwave scorer. He doesn't do anything else. Josh Richardson's actually... hes at, I think he's a good defender. I think he's a pretty well above average, but the offense is just legitimately tanking. There's too many like one-dimensional players who don't add enough. And I would look at the four teams left now in the playoffs. How many of them are having one-dimensional players in the rotation? The only one I can think of is Solomon Hill, but he's only playing because DeAndre Hunter is injured. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not many one-way players in those rotations. There's guys who can create off the dribble and shoot, not just shoot or just get to the rim. They've you've got to be able to do things in multiple areas. Yeah, and and this sort of it sort of leads into to Don, Donnie Nelson had some post game comments, which I I don't necessarily think were part of why he left the team, but he was talking about how how Luca as he matures will get his teammates more involved, and what made those comments so infuriating to me was exactly what you just mentioned, where these these players are fine players being put in positions where they can't do the things that they need to do. I mean, the the thing that stuck out to me as I was editing your piece and and rereading it the past several days was that when we talk about the key off season kind of acquisition, there was a lot that happened for the Mavericks between 20, uh, the, between the short end of bubble and then start of the season again. But the main move uh, was the trade for Seth Curry sending out Seth Curry in the trade for for Josh Richardson, and Josh Richardson was brought in to be kind of a you know a defensive stopper, but also a, a bit of a release valve for ball handling. And as you you pointed something out in the, uh, the article, right, I started laughing where you say he can't get you know Josh Richardson can't get to the rim against the fourth or fifth best defenders on the other team who end up guarding him, and. He's shooting these long twos at kind of a an interesting clip for a guy, you know, in a, for a shot that nobody really takes anymore relative to volume. And it just, 
his his numbers were so strange because he didn't do anything. It was it was a guy brought in as as I know as a defensive role, but on offense he was just so. I mean, he's where he's where the ball went to die on a fair number of possessions throughout the season, and that the Mavericks kept him kept rolling with him. I think had much more to do, and you know we can't know this, but. I have a feeling it had much more to do about kind of the politics of his contract and his agent and really the fact that he had always been a starter than anything to do with his production. And it just, as the season wore on, it was so apparent that he did not bring much of anything to to the table relative to what the Mavericks needed. Yeah, I think the most telling thing is that he wasn't playing in the playoff series like Trey Burke was getting more minutes. (laughs) The thing with Jay Rich, right, it's not just that his offense is bad, it's that it's tanking. That's the problem. Like, you can – so, example I use, it's a different example. Tory Craig on the Suns, his offensive game isn't diverse, but he doesn't do a lot of the stuff Jay Rich does. Jay Rich ends up taking a lot of hook shots, which are great if you've got touch. He hasn't got any touch. So, basically, what's kind of happening is he's getting the ball against the fourth fifth best defender. He's maybe getting past them a little bit but he's not got the burst to sort of get to the rim or anything like that. Legitimately, like, just not a playoff player. You've got – that's he's had the same issue now under three – well, he's had it under Eric Spolstra, Rick Carlisle, I'd say, are elite coaches. I, I think Brett Brown's a decent coach as well. Like, I don't think – yeah, he had those same issues in Philly, just the lack of burst. So there's definitely a him problem there where he just can't sort of bring to the table what he needs. And that was the big – that was the big problem. I mean, Seth Curry isn't some elite playmaker, but Seth's playmaking is made easier because he's an elite shooter. He gets hard closeouts. No one's closing out hard on Josh Richardson. That's just the reality of it. Even you know, even if he hits four in a row, I don't think you change your closeout on him because you just think, well, that's not his game. You know, I'd kind of rather he tried to beat me off the dribble or whatever. It's just, just legitimately tanking and really frustrating to watch me for the whole year. Yeah, and <laughs> it was just yeah, – he's he's kind of a, a, a large part of why Mavs fans – and granted, this is kind of a different discussion, but this year Dallas fans, and I'm part of this, suffered from kind of high expectations and then just things not working out due to a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons was just, just Josh Richardson's um, – he just – strange basketball and then when we look at the other you know off-season acquisitions that occurred and you talk about both these you know we've mentioned one of them already and then you talk about another one much later in your piece they used their a portion of their mid-level exception on Willie Cauley-Stein and then on Trey Burke and one thing I've I've kind of heard over and over again um about how you know if you bought your mid-level exception as a as a team then that is such an anchor to what your team's uh you know limit can be because when we look at those two guys Willie was okay but he was he's he's probably the most athletic player I've ever seen who has no idea how to play basketball yeah <laughs> and 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 then Trey Burke who as you mentioned is is kind of what my what my high school coach would call like a water bug score where he he's when he's going he's really going but then when he's off it's just he's unplayable and and that was those two guys as a result of kind of complications throughout the season 
became key contributors. And this team had top four in the West aspirations. And and you just you can't have players like that if if that's going to be the case. And I'm not sure which one you know we we you'd like to talk about first because both. I mean, you have talked about Trey already, but but both are just really just kind of case studies and what you're talking about in terms of limited roster options. Yeah, I mean, you know, Willie Cauley Stein infuriates me to watch because, like, he's he's one of the top five or ten most athletic bigs in this league just in terms of what he should be able to do he's always he's actually generally played alongside good guards as well i mean sacramento he had the aaron fox buddy healed here he's got luca thj he and he has he's had plays designed by rick carlisle and he's one of the worst rim finishers for me for relative equality attempts in the league you know he just doesn't seem to know what he's doing i think defensively again i think a lot of his flashes are athletic flashes where you'll get mm-hmm. a really big weak side block but this was the hassan white side conundrum a few years ago he's getting the blocks because he's in the wrong position in the first place and he's having <laughs> to make a ridiculous play like that that's the way <laughs> i see it the funny part about willie's finishing that you mentioned is willie actually i bet if you were to like break the season down into quartiles the the second half of the season, he was much better at finishing. There was a stretch during the the kind of COVID outbreak where he was playing way more than he should have, where there was like a missed dunk a game. And we I remember you shooting, I, I just remember the stat. I don't remember the game volume, but it was like 65% on dunks, which I mean it, it's kind of hard to contextualize that to people who don't who aren't super familiar with numbers. But if you think of, you know, if, if you've ever had a, like a little kid and seen them dunking on a toddler goal, they don't miss because they're on top of the goal, which is what a dunk is. So for him to miss one out of every three is really hard to do. And that's kind of just the that that's like a, a snapshot of, of what we're talking about here in terms of just his infuriating uh, just lack of ability to put it all together, which is why he was available in the first place. And and that. You know, I'm jumping all around, even though your piece was much, your piece was very well constructed. It just, it, it kind of gets to the core of, of what the Mavericks have been building these last several years, which it seems that, that whatever their plan was, which was probably to surround Luca with more shooting and more defense, they have not been able to execute that plan in any way, shape or form and have instead, you know, kind of assembled this patchwork team. And the, the part that, that I was, I was ex- really fascinated with, and, and I think I knew, but I didn't really, you know, put together in this way, was you talked about how the, the, the Maverick offense, despite numerically, you know, putting up some very good numbers, is extremely flawed. Could, could you kind of walk us through, and extremely is not right, but could you kind of walk us through what you meant by, by like, the flaws in the Dallas offense? Yeah, the lo- the logic behind the offense it it seems great on the surface. You've got an elite guard, and you surround him with either five out spacing, or you have four out one in spacing with two athletic bigs uh, in Willie Cauley Stein and to a lesser extent Dwight Powell. So the logic is there, but the problem is none of the guys on the perimeter. I- I'm even including Brunson in that. I'm including THJ. All of them. Reddick, Burke, Melly, whoever you're playing, not a single one of them can create their own shot and see the floor. 
Whereas when you watch the Atlanta Hawks, the, their offense is exactly what I've just described. It's four out, one in. The difference is, is when Trey passes it, Bogdanovich, Herter, to a lesser extent, Gallinari, they can all create their own shot as well. They keep the ball moving. They keep the defense in rotation. With Dallas, Rick did the right thing. He he said, all I've got is one elite guard and I've got good shooters. It's good shooters. The problem is the three-point variance for the Mavericks throughout the season was so different. That's why they had some really big wins, like the one over the Clippers at the start of the season, where I think they blew them out by like 60 or something crazy. But then they lost to the Kings three times. And that's not necessarily because the team sucks. It's because when, like, it's not a hot take to say when the shots don't go in, the team isn't good, because no team's going to be good if the shots don't go in. But that Mavs team, it's one shot profile. And if that shot profile doesn't work, they have no way of adapting to a different shot profile. It's a case of if the threes aren't falling, it's not a case of they can adjust. They didn't have the personnel to adjust. They need to find the second playmaker. So, you know, the offensive numbers are great. But for me, if you want to get past the first round, you need to have multiple guys who can get downhill. And so when we talk about guys who are getting downhill, one one player that you focused on was the very, you know, Jalen Brunson who disappeared in the playoffs and that's primarily due to his size, had an absolutely outstanding season in his very, but, but his role is very, very specific. He's doing one thing, you know, you talk about, you know, two and three level scores, which is, I I think a, a, a phraseology that not a lot of Mavs fans are familiar with, because when you look at, you know, sort of the teams that we've had to root for as fans, you had Dirk kind of carrying the load, and then there was just such an odd assortment of guys those last several years. Then they had Dennis Smith. Then they, then, then, then they go to rooting for Luka Doncic, who is such an otherworldly talent that it's kind of hard to to put him in some sort of boxes that you do other players. Could you kind of walk people through what you mean when you say like a two or a three level score before talking a little bit about Brunson? Yeah, so when I so for example, when I do draft coverage, when I talk about the two and three level score, I'm thinking so if they get to the rim, that's fantastic. So Brunson's an example. That's great, but I need a pull-up jumper. That's the next thing I'm looking for. Brunson doesn't shoot well on pull-up jumpers. If they are a purely three-point guy, so Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway is very valuable. He shoots, I think. 40%, I think it's like 39% on contested threes, which is yeah, pretty ridiculous. He shoots the same on contested versus uncontested, which doesn't make any sense, but is kind no, of the Tim Hardaway experience. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, like, but with him, he is still, for me, a one-level scorer. I think it's less bad to be a one-level scorer from three than at the rim, because the reality is, is that if you're a one-level scorer at the rim, the types of defensive coverages you see, especially when you're one like Brunson, um, and against the length the Clippers have, you're going to struggle. But I'm looking for guys who can score at two levels. So Bogdan Bogdanovic, the difference to him is he's a he's an elite shooter, but he's got the. It's not just the mid range game. He's got a really nice, crafty driving game. He can get to the rim. I to me, it doesn't matter how you get to the rim. I don't care if you're a speed guy. I don't care if you're like Bogdanovic, where you're slow, crafty, deliberate with your footwork. But you need to be able to do that. But THJ, that's not his game. He's not got that wiggle off the dribble. That's just not who he is. He's what I call like a you know a one pump and shoot guy. That's what he does. Um, there's plenty of players like that on playoff rotations, but they need to get a guy who can. And I think the other thing is create for others as well. Like 
I think you've said before, Brunson doesn't see the floor in a great way, which it is a problem, you know, because I think small guards, I look at Lou Will as a guy who has kind of been the small guard for the last couple of years. He does see the floor relatively well. He can make the the little passes. I'm not saying that we want Brunson to be Lou Williams, but that's kind of the guy I'm looking at. But it's sure. different. It's really difficult. It's not, you know, Brunson for me, what he's good at is feasting on smaller guards. Mm-hmm. which is great when you're off the bench, but the Clippers have all this length and he just couldn't get it done against them. That makes a lot of sense. So so we, when we're, we've identified, so going through your article, we, we've identified some of the problems. At first is the, the, the uh, you know, leading into the roster construction, what happened last season and kind of the season before that. Then sort of the, the offensive challenge, you know, with the, the shooting, you know, kind of being the, the thing that that they either make their shots or they don't. And if they're not making their shots, they don't really have a lot of other ways to manufacture offense. Brunson and some the fact that they don't have um, any other secondary creators and they haven't uh, in two years is, is has started to stand out in a really big way. And then the final the final thing that that you really talked about is something that a year and a half ago, I, I wouldn't I would have argued with this because I thought Porzingis was really the answer. But you talked about how the Mavericks have to find a center that is not single skill, uh, because the Mavericks have a, you know, Carl talked about this around the trade deadline, about how we you know where he, he's happy with the roster of bigs, which was an awful comment at the time, and then just got exposed in the playoffs. Um, and and could, could you walk us through a little bit about what, you know, just what you mean and what, and then we can kind of start talking about solutions to some of these problems. So I think all the bigs have one specific skill or one specific flaw. So Dwight Powell, I know, I mean, you're, you've been on master a lot longer than me. I know he's always a divisive figure. Um, in fact, I've, even when I wasn't covering the team, I've argued with people on Twitter about Dwight Powell. It's not the best use of my time, but Dwight's a good rim runner. He got better as the year went on. But defensively, he's not a five. He doesn't have any rim protection instincts. I actually think his footwork is okay. I think he's if if it's a matchup where the big is more perimeter-oriented, he had some good reps on Bam Adebayo in the year, just an example. But that that's a flaw there. You've got a four on defense, but a five on offense because he's not a shooter. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Maxi Kleber. Again, I, I like him. I think he's a rotation player on a good team. But he's three and D. He's not. He's not a rim protector. He's a weak side helper. We've talked about Willie Cauley Stein, uh, Nicola Melli. I don't think he's an NBA level player. <laughs> right. I thought he would be because I, I before he got to New Orleans, I watched some of his Euroleague tape and I thought he was good. But to me, he's just not. Unless you're playing him like six minutes a game just to stand there and shoot threes. Uh, not really a guy. There's just it's a very flawed big man rotation. They don't impact the game. None of them impact the game in multiple ways. Now, Paul Zingas, I'm gonna be honest, I am backing him for a bounce back year. I sure. think the injury, yeah, I, I think the injury he had, it's it can take a, a, a little longer to recover from. I would back him for a bounce back after a full off season. Um I, I can understand that. I really can because I've there's a, there's a few uh you know various kind of Twitter um, doctors you know uh, uh, whatever you want to call them people that really understand this stuff in a in a way because it's what they do for a living either as trainers or as as physical therapists or as doctors 
who to have kind of told me that I need to stop being an ass and to give him a little more time because this off season will be his first healthy one ever. Um, not, not counting the 18 month break between his ACL tear and really look how good he looked coming back in the bubble when he had time, his challenge is just that he's, he's in a race against time with his body you know we're nba players there's there's a few outlier guys your chris pauls your dirk Nowitzkis, who hold off time for such a long for such a long period where porzingis is entering is i think his seventh year so I, but it, it, with a guy his size there's just kind of a history of, of dudes running into injury problems more and more as they get older just because the human body is you know arguably not designed to do some of the things that porzingis was able to do early in his career but I, 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 I think there's a pretty good argument for at least a bounce back. And I would understand if the Mavericks uh, held on to him. What's what's particularly interesting, though, is is that even past Porzingis, they hold on to him. If he bounces back, if he doesn't, they still have to have better options with this because the, the one way nature of so many of their centers like Dwight Powell is such a you know, his vertical element that he adds to the offense was well it was needed and you could see that kind of in the final 10 games of the season but if if you you know allow what he allows at the rim at a certain point you become unplayable and and there's they're just options I mean I think you know if you were to break it down into guards wings and bigs I still think that there's a surplus of bigs available every year to where you can piece together something the Mavericks just have to figure out who those players could be and, and, you know, just get maybe one, you know, if, if you're counting on a Porzingis bounce back year, the addition of one more solid two way guy really changes this team in a fundamental way. Absolutely. And I think what, what I would explore, and this is not something I think everyone will like, I would explore trying to, maybe put Porzingis actually as the power forward. That's a lot of size in that front court. Like people talk about how, oh, you know, he'd be cut off the dribble by wings. Like the, the Atlanta Hawks are running a lineup of Danilo Gallinari, John Collins and Clint Capella. And it's going well. Like they're just smothering the Sixers. And for me, Collins and Gallinari are not as deadly offensively as a healthy Porzingis. Certainly Collins isn't. Um, Gallinari, maybe but I don't think he's the player he was. I think, you know, I would go personally, I would, I like Rashawn Holmes. I think what he would bring to the team as a rim runner, he's got that push shot in his game and he's really good at multiple coverages. I'm, I'm surprised the Kings defense is as bad as it is with the players they've got. I guess that's uh, the Luke Walton effect. But for me, like I'm cool with putting Porzingis at the four more often, but I'm running those two big lines because he played, you got to think about like, Luca needs a role, man. I think that's the key. He does. He plays well with Powell. But as I've said before, Powell is not a five defensively, which is what the value is. Holmes, Jarrett Allen, Larry Nance, whoever you want to bring in, those guys fill that role, but you still need to get Porzingis on the court. So I think the, the realistic answer is to optimize this team, they need to experiment more with Porzingis at the four and get a proper five in. See, and and of the things we've discussed, kind of the challenges that the front office faces, I think that the 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 big man is the. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong word, but the word that comes to my mind is finding a big man seems to be the simplest 
fix of the list of problems because when you get back into the fine like ball handlers who can create and we'll talk about some of those ball handlers who can create shoot all that those are much like there there's a premium wings like the, the there's just such a such a like like smaller pool of potential guys to choose from which is how the Mavericks have ended up in these situations but I think I think bigs they they can find some of these guys and and hopefully be able to to kind of plug and play and miss and and figure things out because just with this many games in a row it, and particularly in a seven game series it was just the Mavericks kind of had one game like one offensive game plan and it was Luka Doncic and you know everybody else there just wasn't much to be added and if you can you know there was very few roles I know and I know that's primarily because the Clippers were just switching everything but it just it it felt it, it was just frustrating to watch them get you know after two years of playing you know pretty good basketball just get stymied in in their offense to where it was okay Luka we need you to save us they they have to have a little more optionality and a big man who can do some different things on offense while also not being a, a utter liability on defense seems, I just think that that's, that's something they can find, you know, that'd be the problem I'd want to see them address first. I, I, I don't know why it, it power ranking these problems is a little bit difficult because they're, as you kind of explain in the piece, particularly in regards to defense, it's just like, there are like, there are a lot of, of problems <laughs> that Luca is currently papering over. I, I, I know I rambled a bit here, but uh, what, what are kind of your thoughts in, in terms of the, the, the priority of the problems versus the, the ease of, uh, or the, the simplicity of the solutions? The, the problem I've got is the, the big two for me, they're one A and one B, which is is a problem because the for me the the likelihood of addressing both when you've got a lack of pieces teams would want. I think that's fair to say. Like mm-hmm. just rewinding, if they had taken Tyrese Maxey instead of Josh Green, I would feel a lot better about their ability to fix this problem because Maxey looks as if he's going to be a good contributor, and he's a guard piece that I think teams who want to enter a rebuild would want to see them through the rebuild and develop. The problem you've got is like 1A, 1B. It's the big man for the rim runner, and it's finding the sort of secondary ball handler. My, See, if Rick was coach, well, he's not anymore, but if he was their coach, I thought they would have gone after like, this is, I don't know how this name's going to go down, but I thought they would have gone for someone like TJ McConnell because I don't think that's a Rick Carlisle player. <laughs> yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Cause he can run all the sets Rick's likes to run and stuff like that. I mean, I was hoping Indiana would go for a fire sale, which I don't think they're going to, cause the coaches they're looking at guys like Terry Stotts, you're not bringing Terry Stotts in to oversee a rebuild. So mm-hmm. but I thought Malcolm Brogdon would have been a nice target. But then if you're giving up all you can for Brogdon, you don't have the resources necessarily to go after a center. I know rich ones in free agency. I'm not a cap guy. Uh, that's one thing. I'm that's not really what I'm good at. But like me either. It's hard. <laughs> it's a it's, lot of it's, numbers. It's just complicated. Yeah. I just don't understand it. Um but that for me, I if I had if I was held at gunpoint and said one of these is bigger, I would say the secondary ball handler, you know, the second best player on this team. But that's the harder one to fill than the big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I'm sort of 
I, the secondary ball handler is is the one that I want them to fix the most, but I don't see a fixable option. Now that might yeah. be just yeah. because I'm not creative enough. I just don't. It seems like it, it, there's just a lot of real challenges where the players that that are being bandied about either don't fit or are going to be like prohibitively expensive to to where the Dallas would have to give something else up. And I mean that's how that's how roster construction works. But that's where you know your piece really hammers home the fact that this roster has been mismanaged for going back yeah. years. I mean, they they don't value assets. I mean, we we talked on the touch of uh, at the top of the show how Mark Cuban is willing to let uh, Rick Carlisle go to whoever, whichever team he wants, without garnering like getting back any sort of a- asset and like. You know, it, it's this is a business. This is a competition. The Mavericks need those things in order to try to make a, a bit of a difference. And I'm just not sure how they improve. I mean, the guy that that sticks in my craw going back to 2019 is if the Mavericks actually could have gotten Goran Dragic, not just because he's Luca's countryman, but because he's that sort of he can shoot, he can pass, he can he can also score at the rim. He, I'm not sure what level of player you'd assign him to. But in a secondary position, he could be de- he could have been devastating these last two seasons. And now, unfortunately, he's my age. So I, I just I don't know what the Mavericks <laughs> are going to do. It's it's really, you know, but this is the, the front office stuff, the cap stuff. You're right. I'm not any good at it either. But this is why you want to have an, a good GM and a good front office, because the creative ones go f- like they, they come up with these solutions beyond trying to do. Uh, you know, despite the name of our blog, despite trying to like moneyball the roster of finding, trying to find market inefficiencies, like just go find good players and then yeah. the rest takes care of it or the, the it takes care of the rest. I think that's the thing. Like if you were, so let's say just an example that Indiana were holding a fire sale and Malcolm Brogdon became available. I mean, what would you give up? Cause you don't, we don't know many of the picks. Yep. You're like, who are, you, who are you throwing at Indiana? Josh Green? Like, for the record, like someone read my piece and they sort of said, oh, what's your problem with Josh Green? I haven't got a problem with him. I think he's going to be a good player. But my my take on that pick is whoever's it. I mean, this is the thing, I don't know who's in charge at the Mavs and has been, but whoever made that pick and signed off on it, I think they looked at the roster and went, we need defense. Let's take Josh Green. You don't draft the need. You draft the best player available and you sort of – you're drafting someone for the next five years. For all you know, your defense could really improve in two years, and then this pick looks even more stupid because you've just drafted a guy to fix a need, and that's the short-term thinking that's a problem. I think, you know, in terms of this roster, like, I don't know what they would even give up. So they're going to have to be aggressive in free agency. My gut instinct is they will take a run at Mike Conley. I think he had a good season. Sure. I think what he did was basically what I think he can do with Luca. Not that Luca, by the way, is not that Donovan Mitchell is even close to the same level as Luca, but the same concept, Mike Conley's playmaking allowed Donovan Mitchell to have more spot up attempts. It'd be different. I mean, because Mitchell needed them to be more efficient. He's not an efficient scorer, Donovan Mitchell. Um but Luca just needs the rest because he's always gassed by the fourth quarter. Right. That's what they gotta do. They've got to be aggressive in free agency and they've got to go after it's gonna to have to be an older guard, I think. So Mike Conley, uh Kyle Lowry, someone it's gonna to have to be someone like that. And then they're gonna to have to just pray to God that basically 
a team wants to get rid of a big man. But it's just the thing is that teams don't pay bigs like Jarrett Allen, for example. He's a free agent, I believe, soon. Yep. He's not going to get a big payday because Clint, I remember, I don't know if you remember the Clint Capella free agency from a couple of years ago. He was expecting a max contract and he did. I don't even think he got a single offer. Yeah. He ended up re signing with Houston. Like teams, that could work into Dallas's hands is that teams don't pay bigs because they don't want a big who necessarily isn't super skilled offensively anchoring their roster. So that could work into their hands. But that is me being very glass half full. Sure. No, I'm, but I think that's what we have to do at the moment. Um, I'm a little bit, I, I'm a little bit of a grump, but we're just kind of in the point of, of the season cycle where y- you hope for the best and there's some real, there is some options. It's a matter of, of how do we do it? Um, uh, and, and how do the Mavericks do this with kind of a newly constructed front office? Um, before we get out of here, because this has been a lot of fun and we are going to do this again. Uh, you know, this, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is is kind of your your first piece with Mavs Moneyball. If you if you don't follow Joe on Twitter, he does some really, he did a really fun breakdown of some of like Carlisle's wrinkles. It's, it's the sort of thing to where if you're looking to understand more about basketball and how it's played more than just the surface level stuff, Joe's the kind of guy you want to follow on Twitter. There's a, a just a, ma- there, there's a subsection of, of guys, you know, Nikias is, is probably the most well-known of just people who appreciate the game for the game, not the, the kind of narrative bullshit that, that everybody gets into these days. I shouldn't have cursed. Now I'm going to have to label this as a cursing podcast. Oops. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I really recommend giving, giving Joe a follow. I'm we're, we're excited for, for whatever he, he chooses to do with us now and then. Um, well, we, you know, we're kind of one of the things I'm, I'm hoping, and, and I have done a little bit the last several months is expand our, our list of writers to people who really enjoy the analysis of, of how things happen within the league and, and within the game. Uh, uh, Joe, is there, is there anything, you know, uh, we don't want to give away concepts, but uh, is there anything you're looking forward to kind of uh, taking a, a look into, you know, this summer as, as, as we go on with off season content? In free agency, it'll be deep dives on specific players. It'll think it'll be mostly big men because I think seeing what they're going to do with guards is harder to predict. Mm. Um, so it'll be three names sort of on my list: uh, Larry Nance Jr., Jarrett Allen, and Reach One Holmes. So I want to di- deep dive on all of those guys. So that's kind of the main thing. Obviously, if Carlisle had been kept, I would have done a little bit more on the X's and O's because I don't know if they're going to be the same. Uh, but right. I'll probably still do some stuff on some of the concepts they ran and all the counters they ran out of it as well. Yeah, because the Mavericks really it it that's the it just drives me nuts. I, I host these green rooms and we have a subsection of fans who just don't appreciate the tactile aspect of what Carlisle was able to do with such a limited roster. And that's something I think that regardless of who comes in, the Mavericks are going to miss. I mean, when it comes to to the tactics of the game. Carlisle is is one of I would say maybe like two like I'd put him above pop and it, like him Spalestra and maybe Nick Nurse are kind of like the three guys who I feel could squeeze blood from a stone given a roster yeah. but I just think the Mavs are going to miss that but that's okay um before we wrap on up is uh is there anything else we should touch on you think no I just want to say on Jalen Brunson I do think he's a good player because I didn't say that earlier but oh I no, you! I mean, you taught like in the piece. The piece is like he was—he was like ninety-seven percentile or something in some areas. Yeah. Like he was outstanding. 
Yeah, just I think he's being put into it. He's basically because they don't have the ball handlers, he's being pushed too far up. The realistic back in order, that's the problem. Yeah. Yep. I I totally see that. All right, guys. This has been Kirk Henderson and Joe. You should follow Joe on Twitter. You should unfollow me. Um, I'm a problem. Uh, (laughs) This has been fun. We're going to have a lot of of, uh, content. There's a lot of basketball stuff happening. You know, you, you, the, the truncated offseason, the fact that they're playing this late into the year, there's the Olympic qualifiers, there's the Olympics, there's Summer League, there's draft, and we'll probably get like a three-week span where there's not much happening. But we're going to – we just have a lot of ideas um, of, of things that we're going to be hitting on. So please, you know, you know, keep coming to the webpage. We've somehow been posting more articles per day the last three weeks than we did at the end of the regular season. I guess people just like writing about some of this off-season stuff. But again, Joe and Kirk, we've had a great time here. Uh, fall, please rate and review the Mavs and Moneyball podcast, and we will talk to you guys sometime later this week.